Welcome to episode 33 of Jesus and the Meteorologist. My name is Kevin Cookagee, and I am your host. Our subject is discernment, and our aim is to teach, to elevate your minds, and to exalt your courage, to accelerate and animate your industry and activity, and to excite in you an ambition to excel in every capacity, faculty, and virtue. Our mission is to inspire young men and women and their parents to understand the present in order to prepare for the future, a task that necessarily demands a proper interpretation of the past. Our aim is to highlight the antithesis between the way of the Lord and the ways of the world, between the truth of Scripture and the opinions of men, so that we might reflect the light of life in a culture of death. Well, that music entered a little early, but welcome to Squidgetville, ladies and gentlemen. With the assistance of these fine icebergs, we've stepped back and expanded the lens so that our audience can better appreciate what we have developed here. For those who have may for those who may have missed any of the recent prior episodes, Squidgetville, a name that was coined by these icebergs, giggling now in the studio. Derived <laughs> see, go ahead, giggle freely. You're okay. Get it out. <laughs> Squidgetville derives its name from my regular lead-in to the second segment of this podcast, wherein I explain that this program is a weekly squidget devoted to the topic of discernment. Squidgetville, then, is a metaphorical village in the kingdom of Jesus and the meteorologist, wherein we examine as tools of discernment the important questions of A, what is real, B, how do we know what is real, and based upon what we know to be real, what is our duty? Philosophers would categorize those subjects into $64,000 questions or words like metaphysics. What does metaphysics mean? It's what's behind what's real. Right. At back of <clears throat> the physics. It's not behind what's real. It's actually what's real behind what behind appears. What, yeah. Right. What, it's behind what we see. Yeah. What is, what is behind the physical universe? Epistemology. What's epistemology? Any student remember? Uh, theory of knowledge. In other words, how do we know what we know? On what basis? Right? And then finally, our duty is defined as our ethics, which is our what? Our responsibility, right? Or our moral obligation. Okay. As our audience can also attest... What makes this program unique and strange, I think, is that we examine everything from the context of a decidedly and unapologetic Christian worldview. And we don't just leave it at that. We argue why all other worldviews cannot be ultimately or consistently defended. And we explain and defend why the Word of God is the only basis upon which anyone can know anything. For a deeper dive into our apologetic, I would encourage the audience to begin with episode one and work sequentially through all of our now 33 episodes to understand why our posture is that the Christian worldview is not just one of many equally viable belief systems, but rather the only belief system upon which one can make sense of his observations and experiences. In the end, all worldviews that are not rooted in the revealed Word of God, including those that outright reject the Bible as the ultimate source of truth, are in fact dependent upon the Bible being true. Again, if you go back and review our prior episodes, you'll know why we say that all unbelieving worldviews borrow 
or even steal from the Christian worldview in order to try to make their case against the Bible and the created order. We don't have time today to delve further into that, but our entire inventory of episodes demonstrates that not only that the Bible is true, but we explain why the Bible must be true if anything else is to make sense. So then, in Squidgetville, there is this big, beautiful Houses of Analysis. Upon entering the front doors, one can either go to the left, down the hall, into the Offices of Hypothesis. From where we do what? We examine manifold questions and theories. Or, for the more athletic among us, one can go down the hallway to the right, where, after passing further security and donning an appropriately logoed hockey sweater, and by appropriately logoed, of course, I mean black and gold and white with a cute little skating penguin emblazoned on the front. Cute. <laughs> you enter PPG Paints Arena to the sound of that big, beautiful... Ah, yes, the Penguin's Goal Horn. The reward for all good questions and comments on this program and in life. Does that mean you get to watch? <laughs> in life. Wow, if you're walking down the street, you actually hear the horn That's go right. Off. Hey. Yeah. Said something and if you don't, you might have to question what's wrong. Oh, yeah. my. I didn't hear the goal horn. I think someone's echo is so broken. If you, do Probably. you just get a goal horn or do you get a hockey game if you say something right? Hmm. That's a good question to be explored further on a later episode. <laughs> Finally, as introduced last week, Squidgetville. Let's hear that theme again. Oh, yeah. Squidgetville is also the home, unfortunately, of the... Premises of my nemesis. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds so bad. (laughs) Which is a very very old... Yeah. That premises of my nemesis... I guess that makes sense, though, because it's the premises of my nemesis. Yeah. It's supposed to sound scary. Not scary in a frightening way, but scaring like in a... Comical way. Kind of twisted <laughs> Yeah, twisted. Way. Anyway, Premises of My Nemesis is a very old yet persistent-looking property whose front porch, remember, faces, again, the... Houses of Analysis. And the Premises of My Nemesis is occupied by an abundance of unargued assumptions and pretensions about the ambiguity of evidence for God. Unlike the palaces of analysis, whose foundation rests securely on Christ, the solid rock, the foundation of the premises of my nemesis sits uncomfortably on the sands of its own presumed autonomy. When we get back, our Squidgetville icebergs will be coming to you live from the offices of Hypothesis. You are listening to Jesus and the Meteorologists. So I wrote a little book all the way back in 2009 to address what was happening in America and what was likely to happen if we did not take corrective action. Unfortunately, too many of my predictions are coming true. The only surprise is the speed at which we have reached the precipice. The title of that little book is The Experts, and you can buy it on our webpage. Just go to JesusAndTheMeteorologist.com, click the image of the little brown book, and we'll send it to you for only $9.99. And then be sure to let me know what you think. Welcome back to Jesus and the Meteorologist, a weekly squidget in Squidgetville, devoted to the topic of discernment. My name is Kevin Cookagee, and I am still your host. With us in the studio, you heard them earlier, are... 
Roger. Winnie. And Penelope. Breaks in summer vacations work and uh, return of a few friends this summer will will be the order of the hour. And of course, by the time these episodes run, it'll be a few weeks hence. But um, I thank you for participating, trying to squeeze in all that we can get before you go on your vacations and work projects and before some of you uh, disappear to college. All right, my Squidgetville icebergs. We should make hockey sweaters for you. What would it look like instead of a penguin on a triangle with a hockey puck? It would have to be like blue and white. Mm-hmm. Okay. Or icebergs. I, I, I like could have blue. an iceberg as our logo. Yeah, I, li- I like that. An iceberg. It'd be called the icebergs with a with a happy face or like with a mean face. A no, he's got a mean face. face. No, a tough he's got face. like a confident face. Not yeah, mean. yeah, yeah, not yeah. Yeah. Thing, yeah, yeah, but tough, intentional, deliberate, not but not snowflakes. not like scary mean. Not going to beat no, not, you up. Yeah, but yeah, very confident. confident. I like that, Winnie. All right, our hypothesis for today. Well, I guess we better enter. We're in the palace, but we better enter the... Offices of Hypothesis. All right. Our hypothesis for the day is, quote, laws motivate people to do good, end quote. Again, laws motivate people to do good. True, That's a loaded question. True or false? False. False. Okay. Yeah, false. Okay, false. All icebergs say false. Why or why not? Just because it's written on paper doesn't mean people are going to change their habits. All right. Is everything... Let's talk about what a law is. Most people presume that a law is something that is written on a piece of paper by a government authority. Um, In our country, it's presumed to have been written through representative legislation signed by the executive after passing houses um, of various forms... But I think we have – one of the problems in our society is that uh, rules and regulations uh, unilaterally imposed are called laws, case in point. The mask mandates that came down over the last couple of years, especially with regard to air travel, were constantly mischaracterized as laws in the airport. It would, you'd go into the airport and it would say – by federal law, you are required to wear a mask. Well, there was never any federal law that was passed. The legislative process was not used. The president of the United States, through his executive authority, promulgated rules that were not indeed laws. But people get it in their heads and they think it's law. And and when you act according to the law, you get what is called custom and habit, which can be more troubling at times than even law itself. Okay, so now back to the question, laws motivate people to do good. What are some laws? You, you said false, and um, one of the reasons was because, go ahead and repeat it again, Penelope. Oh, people aren't going to change their habits just because it's written on paper. Okay, so habits, case in point, go back to the masks, those quote-unquote, call them laws or not, the rules written on a piece of paper disappear and yet we still find people doing what? Still wearing masks. Yeah, some people are still wearing masks outside in the beautiful weather. Um, okay, I'm going to shift it to Winnie. Why did you say false? Laws motivate people to do good. Well, kind of the same thing. The thing that motivates people to do good is their morals inside. And, well, ultimately, down inside them, their heart, and if it's been changed or not, 
And just because some authority is telling them they should do something is not going to change their morals inside. Let's talk about speed limits, right? The law on the interstate in, in, in the state of Tennessee, 70 miles an hour is the maximum speed limit, right? In Arkansas and Texas, 75 is the speed limit, which is great because you can drive faster. But does this mean that everybody drives 70 miles an hour or under, Roger? No. Well, aren't those laws? Well, they're regulations. They're limits, but are they really laws? What happens if people – well, speed limits are laws. They're passed okay. through legislative process. What happens, though, if a person does not obey the speed limit and gets caught? He gets fined. He gets a ticket. Okay. And if you're driving too fast, you can be charged with reckless driving. And right? get your license revoked, yeah. Right, or at least suspended. And yet, people still get in their cars and exceed the speed limit. In fact, exceeding the speed limit by four or five miles an hour – is so common that even the police don't bother pulling someone over because it's too close to try to enforce, right? Okay. So I say this, we talk about this, and we're going to expand upon it as a, um, as a point of orientation for our discussion today. The entire premise of the left, we could say the entire premises of our nemesis, is that one can regulate behavior through the passage of laws from outlawing or over-regulating fossil fuels in order to coerce people to driving different kinds of vehicles, to banning the sale and possession of firearms as an expressed means of reducing crime. Setting aside, though, for the moment that the real motive for gun control, of course, is not reduction of crime, but rather the elimination of our liberties. So let's take a look at a few current events to test our hypothesis. All right. Anybody know who Mitch Marner is? I do. <laughs> Roger does. Roger why does. did you sing that answer? I do. All right. Are you getting married? Is that why you're saying I do? <laughs> I was going to say <laughs> no. man and wife. <laughs> <laughs> say man and wife. <laughs> Who's Mitch Marner? He plays, he's, why is he forward? He's a forward for, for what? For the Toronto Maple Leafs. For the Toronto Maple Leafs. And shortly Hockey after the Ma NHL. Yep. So shortly after the Maple Leafs were bounced out of their first-round playoff, not unlike the Penguins or the Predators, unfortunately, although the Penguins and the Maple Leafs made it to seven games, the Predators got swept in four. But who's talking about that? Who's remembering? <clears throat> Mitch Marner was carjacked in Canada. He went to the movie theater with his girlfriend and some friends, and guys came up and liked his car. I think he actually had a Range Rover. Huh. Liked his car, held him up with a gun, and he said, of course, take my car, because he wanted to preserve his life, right? Okay, so why did this happen? Since in Canada, there are laws, very strict laws, against gun ownership. In fact, even stricter today, uh, recently the virtue-signaling Justin Trudeau, Canadian Prime Minister, even restricted gun owner use. If you saw, he's even restricted toy guns in his most recent no ban. <laughs> yeah, in his most recent ban, even toy guns because they appear too much. They look too much like real firearms. So now they're in the process of being banned in Canada. Like Nerf guns and stuff? Um, airsoft 
Uh, rifles, things like that. So, since there is no equivalent in Canada to the Second Amendment in the United States, no equivalent right to bear arms, why was it that Mitch Marner was held up at gunpoint? I mean, don't laws make people do good things? Well, the people who are using these guns for devious uses are not going to care about the laws. That's right, because by definition, what? A criminal breaks the law. Yeah, criminals do not follow the law. That's why they're called criminals. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Okay, let's shift to a different example. I'm a criminal, but I, res I respect gun laws. <laughs> Buffalo grocery store murders. This was about a month ago. It's going to be later by the time this airs. But a young man, a green, a self-professed, quote, green nationalist, a self-professed um, Nazi, I believe, or he called himself a green Nazi, I think. You can check me on that story to be sure. Professed hatred for Christians, hatred for Jews, uh, went into a Buffalo area grocery store and killed, I think, about a dozen people. My question is, isn't murder illegal? Isn't, aren't there laws in every state in the United States that says murder is illegal? So Penelope, if murder is illegal and there is a law against murder, how could this possibly have happened at this Buffalo grocery store that this guy went in and killed other people? Well, just like we were saying before, he's not going to care about the law. He's not going to be frightened by it. If he wants to murder some people, he's going he's gonna to do it if he's a criminal. So are you saying we should have no laws then? No. I think that's a right answer. So what's, what are you saying then? We need a clock? I'm saying, no, um. I think we should have a little law, clock. <laughs> laws to show that, um. Yeah. Oh my gosh. i get you laws thinking. Laws to show that, um, that America, that we shouldn't do it, but if there's bad people still, there are bad people still in the world. I mean, all of us are sinful, but showing that we don't, want it but there's still people who are going to do it right so just because somebody breaks the law doesn't mean we shouldn't still have the law yeah. right for one reason then you have a set of consequences yeah um to be able to keep society safe put someone imprison someone who's dangerous to society for the protection of society right okay let's um talk about the evaldi texas school shooting that seems to be a, a hot-button issue, and ironically, as soon as that shooting happened, within 24 hours, we had stories and documentaries and all kinds of um, different accounts for what really happened. Were the doors unlocked? Were the doors left open on purpose? Did a teacher open, or did someone else stick a, um, a rock in the door to leave it open? Why did this young man who was 18 and lived with his grandmother, he had a uh, $80,000 F-250. He had a couple of firearms that were worth about $5,000. Where did he get these firearms? But aside from all of that, aren't there laws in Texas against murder? Well, yes. yes. There are. Then why did this young man go in and shoot people? Because criminals don't care about the law. So you're implying there's something else at stake here, maybe. I've, before you answer that, I've got another question. Okay, I, I used to own an F-150, my favorite vehicle of all time, a Blue Roush F-150. Have you ever seen those little smart cars that people drive? Mm -hmm. I, I say smart in quotes because I don't think it's smart to drive a little peanut and 
Call Put yourself at risk. Yeah, it looks like yes. a cozy coop. Okay. So why do they call them smart cars, though, by the way? Why? Oh. Yeah. Well, probably because they're tiny and they, you know, are electric. They don't. Yeah, isn't that the, <laughs> the point? Car doesn't, the car doesn't have any carbon dioxide, carbon monoxide emissions. So, so the suggestion clean. is that if you buy this little car that you, the owner, are being smart, right? Mm-hmm. It's not that the car is more intelligent. <laughs> well, the car probably also has way too many computers in it, too. <clears throat> yes, smart car. So there's a bit of hubris there, isn't it? If you're not driving one of these, you're not smart, and your car is not as important. Okay, so for context... There's a size difference between an F-150 and a smart car, is there not? A sizable one. Okay. So let's let's imagine that I'm driving down the road in my F-150, in my former F-150, and coming toward me in a two-lane highway is a little smart car, right? Now, I don't like those smart cars, right? What is it that keeps me from just turning left and running over that little smart car? The consequences and also your your own morals. Your, yeah. yeah, your morals that you wouldn't want to hurt someone. Like yeah, you your could own kill conviction. someone, or and you could also kill yourself and damage your car too. Yeah. So, so is it the law, or is it something else that's at play that keeps me from running over that little smart car? Your morals. Yeah, like something else. When you said. Yeah, because if it's the law, because there's all different laws that apply: speed limit, not crossing the center line, a yellow center line. And um, Penelope's just taking her driving lessons, so she knows about that. Solid lines and dashed lines. Mm-hmm. Um, there's other laws that would hold you liable if you did kill someone, whether intentionally or through negligent action, right? Grossly negligent. All of these laws, and yet every day we see those kind of accidents, either accidents that are truly accidental, someone's driving too fast and accidentally goes over the line or someone who's drinking and driving becomes careless right but in the end if the laws were sufficient there would be no wrecks on the highway nobody would be killed nobody would be jailed for the intentional um, grossly negligent uh, homicide by vehicle so something else is clearly at play right Mm -hmm. you got to say yes you can't just nod because on the recording the nods can't be heard unless you like scratch your chin on the bottom of the microphone. So, <laughs> That's kind of gross. what is that other thing? What would um, Edmund Burke have called it? What would James Madison have called it? it? Begins with a V. Virtue. Virtue, right? And what's the greatest assurance of virtue? Anybody want to quote Edmund Burke? Winnie? Uh, That's all right. I, I'll, I, I actually put you on the spot on, on purpose. I think that Penelope or Roger should quote Edmund Burke. Wait, society cannot... Yeah. Society cannot exist unless a controlling power upon will and appetite be placed somewhere. And the less of it there is within, the more there must be without. Men of intemperate minds cannot be free. Their passions forge their fetters. Okay. Society cannot exist unless a controlling power, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Unless a controlling power upon their will or appetites be placed somewhere, the less of it there is within. In other words, that moral control, that moral, those chains of morality, the more there must be without, the external, right? But in the end of the day, 
even that external is not what keeps people from doing something because if it did, again, we wouldn't have people in jail. We wouldn't have people paying fines. Instead, we would have a completely virtuous society or, or a society, sorry, a society where no harm is done. But that isn't the case, is it? Mm-mm. No, because no. no. we live in a sinful fallen world. George Washington said, again, to bring more context to this, that morality and virtue were the indispensable supports of a free and civil society. So my Squidgetville icebergs, what does that mean? Well, I think it's saying to have a functional and right community, everyone must have the same right intentions behind everything. Or if if these people don't have virtue, if these people don't have their own virtue within them, which is governing their actions, then you can't be free because then the only way any sort of societies can exist without mass chaos would be a controlling government. So notice that George Washington did not say, did he? He didn't say that laws are indispensable supports of a free and civil society, did he? Mm-mm. Why not? Because they're not. they're not. Because laws... Now, but we talked with Penelope that you don't want to throw away laws. You're not suggesting we shouldn't have laws. Instead, you're saying that laws only are good to the extent that what? People follow them. People follow them. And the only way that people are going to follow them is... If they have the right virtues inside them. Yes. If internally they have the desire to follow them, right? Otherwise, no matter what you write on a piece of paper, whether it is truly a law or whether it is just a rule imposed upon us by someone without our consent, either way, the only way those rules are followed is if people have an internal reason, an internal clock, an internal moral compass, right, for following them. All right. When we return, we're going to examine what the Bible says about the law and its ability to shape one's behavior. You are listening to Jesus and the Meteorologists. There are citizens in Tennessee working to reclaim the practice of self-governance in our state and ensure that a constitutional, Republican form of government is preserved to future generations. We are Tennessee Stands. Do you want to get off the sidelines and learn how to stand for liberty in your community? Join us at TennesseeStands.org and on social media at Tennessee Stands. Welcome back to Jesus and the Meteorologists. My name is Kevin Cookagee, and I am your host. We spent the entirety of the middle segment exposing the myth that laws change beliefs or behavior, demonstrating that establishing rules and laws as a means of changing people's minds is a fool's errand. As Christians, of course, we can explain and defend why this is and will always be true. What does the Bible say about the law? Can the law save us? Can the law change us? What was the purpose of the law? And to help us answer that question biblically, we're going to begin with Galatians 3. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? 
Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it was really in vain? So again I ask, does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Continuing at verse 7. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed among with Abraham, the man of faith. And then continuing from verse 10 through 14. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse as it is written. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God, because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everything hung on a pole. Is everyone. Is everyone who is hung on a pole. That makes a little more sense. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Okay, so you're starting to get the feel for the the place of law. But before we comment on it, I want to move to Romans 8.3. Who has, Roger, you have that? Reading from Romans 8.3. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned the sin in the flesh. Read the first line of that again. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful. So what the law was powerless to do. What is the law powerless to do? save us. It's powerless to justify us. Yeah, and so go back to in the context of this episode, the hypothesis was the law motivates people to do good. True or false? False. 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 Mm -hmm. Okay, and let's add to that two more brief scriptures. Acts 13 39. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you are not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Mm -hmm. A justification you are not able to obtain under the law. And then finally, to answer the question, by the way, did Jesus say that the law would set us free? No. The no. Spirit sets us free. What's it say in eight? Well, yes, and the Spirit of what? The Spirit of truth. Of truth, yes. So reading from John eight thirty-two. sorry, eight thirty-one and 32. To the Jews who believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Right. It's not the law that sets us free. It is the truth that sets us free. So, the purpose of the law was what? If the 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 law is there, right, it is the standard. It's to prove our inability to make the law. Right. It's the standard, just like the flag. Think about this in context of what has happened to the American flag culturally in the last five to ten years. There's a movement of people who are setting aside the argument of whether or not their claims are true or not about justice or not. 
and I think we talked about this, and I can't remember the which episode it was, but I've spoken about this so much I'm forgetting. But the flag itself becomes ignored or disrespected by people who believe that there are injustices, right? Well, because the flag is nothing more and nothing less than a standard, the worst thing you can do, the absolute worst thing you can do if there, if you are upset with justice is to disregard the flag, right? Especially in America, the flag's colors are important, right? Red stands for... Courage. Blood, yeah, courage and bloodshed, right? White is purity, and blue stands for... Justice. Justice, right? So the, that standard of the flag, justice, courage, integrity, purity, you don't want to denigrate that no matter how much you miss the mark the standard should still be held high, especially if you believe there is injustice, right? Well, similarly, the law is this standard by which we know we can never meet. So then if the law is a standard that we can never meet and yet God calls us to uphold the law, what are we to do? If the standard is... Excellent. Look at that clock came. I didn't have to ask for it. If the standard is the law... And God calls us to uphold the law while telling us that we are unable to uphold the law because of our sinful condition. Whatever are we to do? Well, we're still supposed to follow the law even though we're not going to make it. It's not that that answer is wrong, but it's not the right answer. If that makes sense. (laughs) What? (laughs) Yes, you are to follow the law, but not to become righteous. You are to follow the law, obviously, As as an outpouring of of your faithfulness, as as proof that you are what? Saved. Saved by what? By grace. Yeah, by grace through faith in Christ. Christ. Right? The purpose of the law was to reveal our sin and to make us aware of our culpability, that is, our responsibility for sin, in order to drive us to the only one who can save us from sin, Christ alone. What's Ephesians 2, 8 say? For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and, and it's, it's not from right. yourselves. It, it is, is a gift, a gift of, God. of God. You know that song, that catechism song? Mm-hmm. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Am I the only one who knows that? No, I know it. Okay. How do you know? <laughs> How do you not know it? <laughs> so, to, so to all of the self-righteous lawgivers and disingenuous Pharisees of today, those who signal virtue but advocate the notion of law, ironically, to advance their own lawlessness, we say, unless one has a change of heart, there can be no lasting change of direction. Unless one's entire orientation changes, that is the starting point, the target will never be hit. Indeed, lawlessness will abound where the heart is not soft, and the law cannot soften the heart. The only basis upon which we can ever realize and sustain a free and civil society, where true peace and righteousness is established and reigns throughout the entire land, and where individuals voluntarily do what is right, good, and responsible, is when hearts have been supernaturally changed from stone to flesh. And it is indisputable that this is only possible upon the firm foundation of Christ. That's all the time we have today, ladies and gentlemen. 
Thanks again to our icebergs, our producer, and to all of our listeners and supporters. In the never-ending battle for hearts and minds, we aim to find and develop young men and women who, like the men of Issachar, understand the times and who know what to do. And how can we know what we're to do? Unless Unless we we believe believe what what is true. true. My name is Kevin Kukaji, and you have been listening to Jesus and the Meteorologists. Sticking around Come to the back. after party. <laughs> Come back next Tuesday. <laughs>